2: Hey, I'm Natalie Drenovac and welcome to The Modern Women, a show that seeks to share the stories and experiences of women that may be out of our line of sight. Today's episode is the start of a new series within each season of the show called Anonymous, which aims to give a variety of women their own platform. It often seems like the only people who are ever interviewed or given a platform to express an opinion or point of view are those with some sort of status, whether it be through followers, media presence or being a celebrity. It made me wonder that perhaps the common voice we're hearing is getting skewed and whether these are the only voices and opinions we should be hearing. Why do we give so much weight and why do we listen so intently to what those with status might have to say about topical issues when I've personally had a range of powerful and deep conversations with what I'll in inverted commas say are everyday people, as I'm sure you have too? On top of this, the issues that face women face every woman in a variety of ways, and that's what I want to uncover and explore in this series. As this series evolves, the continuing purpose of the anonymity is to enable open discussions because sometimes opinions don't always need a face. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me today and being my guinea pigs for the Anonymous series. As I told you, I always start with a rapid fire. So, we go to the bar for happy hour. What do you order?
3: Espresso martini. Aperol spritz.
2: If you could have one do-over in your life, what would you do differently?
3: University exchange overseas. Nothing happy lady Uh, what's the
2: one book that's had the greatest impact on you
3: diary van frank
4: that's hard i can't pick just one what's the last book you read i read recently a series of short essays on happiness um which are from the harvard financial review which was really good but i couldn't, i can't pick one thing what is your favorite word beautiful sun
2: and lastly who is a female role model for you and why
3: serena williams why well she's just an incredible athlete she's got intense determination she's a phenomenal athlete performer but um, has and, also, a- and also and um, also role model for other women Who was sort of trying to break out of, you know, or trying to break into their identity or.
2: Yeah, I feel like lately she had a real resurgence as like the woman's Mm -hmm. favorite. Talk about yourself.
4: My aunt, uh, my father's sister, she is in her 70s. She's still working as a professional, she's a psychiatrist. She has three kids. She contributes to her local community, the wider community, and she's very happy and fulfilled. She's a bit of a matriarch, yeah.
2: All right, I love that. So as I was outlining to you, in my 29 years of being a woman, I've come across the fact that women, we seemingly lie to each other. We lie to men. We lie to our partners. We lie to ourselves. And the more I think about it, the more it started to baffle me. I want to know why we do it. Why do we lie about such things that are important? motherhood sex relationships body image when perhaps if we just told the truth we might be able to either help our friends feel better of what they're going through or equally perhaps make ourselves feel better along the way and perhaps just break some misconceptions because I often find that when you tell a lie you'll hear a lie and so let's talk some truths I want to start with motherhood because I think you both have very different experiences and ideas of it and so why don't mums tell each other who are thinking about having
3: kids just how fucking hard it's going to be? Okay, I can start. Um, because you have two kids. Right, I do. Um, I guess, you know, it's such a um, – it, it's sort of such a funny dynamic, I guess. You, you spend your whole life trying to not get pregnant. And then you decide at one point in your life, okay, great, let's go and have kids. And then you potentially struggle, potentially find it really easy and all of a sudden you're pregnant, you're having a baby and everyone's like, oh, it's such such a fantastic time. You know, then you come home from hospital with a newborn baby and you're sort of going, what am I doing? How am I? <laughs> how come no one told me sort of what this is all about? And everyone sort of just gets so wrapped up in the joy of children but actually, you know, no one really talks about it because you're expected you know, to just enjoy it and sort of be so fulfilled in life by the fact that you've just had a child. And it's, you know, people sort of see it as a shameful thing to say, well, oh, it's shit and it's really hard having no sleep and, you know, I barely get out of my pyjamas. Some days I don't have a shower. It's it's quite shameful and I guess you see mums and you see, you know, social media and people walking down the street, you know, they've bro- blow-dried their hair and they have you know, they're sitting at a cafe, baby sleeping, no one's crying, it's all perfect... Um, and I guess that society paints that picture of this perfect life once you have children. And it's not really always the case. I mean, yes, there are definitely are good days, but.
2: And the thing that you brought up, especially too, about, and it's something we've all spoken about, the idea that it's easy to become a mother, or at least growing up, I really thought that. And I remember sharing with yourself. mm mm-hmm. About how, oh, my mom, she had three kids. Nothing seemingly was difficult about it. She never told me about anything being difficult. And then the older I got, the more I spoke with other women, and other women I should say. And they kept on perpetuating actually just how tough it could be. And then I all of a sudden I knew friends who either had um, polycystic ovarian syndrome and all of a sudden that would be difficult for them. Or others who would have to do IVF. And then I also realized, well, she also had three kids before 28. And so age has now become a factor. And so is that something that you found when you were going through getting pregnant?
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we sort of got to the point where my husband was like, oh, I really want to have kids. And I was like, oh, I really don't know. You know, we're still so young and like, let's just live our life. And he's like, no, you know, we, we've got to do this, you know, before we get to a certain age. And I guess that's a, the sort of pressure you get from society. All our friends are having kids. You know, we have to have our kids the same age and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, yeah, I mean, we definitely had struggles. So we we tried and tried and tried and tried. And like two years later, you know, I got pregnant with my first. But I guess, um, you know, it was a really long road. You know, I get messages from friends going, oh, hi, just wanted to let you know. And, um, you know, I know this might be hard for you to hear, but, um, you know, we're pregnant and, you know, we're having a baby and sort of people were quite, you know, I guess it's that whole like nervous to tell me because they know that we're going through this time of like, why can't I get pregnant? You know, I'm young, I'm healthy. And then everyone would give me advice. Oh, you're doing too much exercise. Oh, you're doing this. Oh, you're not eating enough. Oh, your body fat's low. Oh, you you know, you're you're working too hard. You're really stressed. You need to stop stressing about it. But all these things, you know, it's just about living your life. Like they exist and, you know, you can't stop something and you ca- can't stop living your life because you're trying to have a baby. Is it really the the recipe, you know? So absolutely experience those difficulties. And then
2: on the flip side, you have a medical background and although you don't yet have children, you were sharing a
4: very different experience about your idea yeah. about wanting to have a kid. So I think for me I'm in a very different situation where I'm constantly surrounded by people who are putting off having kids till like they're a lot older. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of women in medicine Keep to themselves, like they may not be happy with that reality. Um, And I have colleagues, a lot of colleagues who've put off having kids and now are in their late 30s and aren't able to have kids or have recently had multiple miscarriages. And a lot of these women are now discussing, you know, how this has happened, how they've got to that stage of their life, why they didn't think about integrating that earlier. Um, and there certainly are repercussions, um, in terms of your profession for having kids, you know, that's just, it's just a fact you have time off and there are certain people that see you differently. I wish it wasn't that way, but it is that way. Um, so for me, I'm not quite at that age yet, but that's something that I'm like acutely aware of that I do not want to end up in that situation where I've sacrificed that for just for my career, because my career is not some total of my life. So... It's, yeah, it's something that I think about all the time. I'm constantly evaluating, is this worth me delaying that? I mean, I really want kids. I'm really excited about it, as is my husband. Um, and it's something that I have intentionally been delaying. So for me, it's just more about yeah, constantly checking in with myself, like how, what am I happy to compromise on? And it is a compromise. Everything's a trade-off this idea that you can work really hard and be at the peak of your career with no consequences, I think is fake. And I think that a lot, I think that there's a lot of thinking. um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's part of sort of a, a more extreme feminism that like you can have everything and that you can be at the top and that you can do everything. But part of being a woman for me, like this is my own experience is having kids. So like, you know being at the peak career-wise would mean that i would have to sacrifice having something else that's also really important to me and to me that's part of being an independent woman that's part of me choosing what i want for myself i don't want to just be a like you know at the top of the ladder and not have other things that's my choice so like it is hard i think you have to balance all of these things but i think it's just about being honest about what's important to you and what you're willing to sacrifice at a particular time But just being aware of, you know, what's on the table and yeah, constantly, you know, what you're prioritizing. Everything's a trade-off always.
2: So do you believe we're entitled to both or do you believe that at the end of the day, you're going to have to pick one or the other? And then do you think that that's unfair because biologically as women, we are the ones who have to have kids?
4: I think you can have both, but I think you just need to be very mindful about what you're doing, you know, like... There are, you know, for example, if you wanted to be a female surgeon, which requires a huge amount of time, a huge time commitment, right, then you need to acknowledge to yourself that either it's going to be extremely difficult while you're training or when you're a consultant you, like, you might wait and then you may not be able to get pregnant and you need to be okay with that decision. I think it's the denial of your actual values, like not thinking about it is what lands people in trouble. For some women, they don't want to have kids. There are other things that are important to them. You just have to, I think you just have to like level with yourself and be like, this is what I want. This is like where I'd like to be in five years or 10 years, you know, like I think it's just about being honest with yourself. And, like, what you're willing to compromise and what you're not willing to compromise on. I think you can have both. And, like, I mentioned before that, like, my aunt is my role model. She's still a professional working full-time in her 70s with three kids. It's achievable, but it has to be done mindfully and fully aware of, like, all of the options.
2: So, on that, I wanted to ask you both because at the end of the day, it's women who usually are the main caregivers, right? And you both are very ambitious women with your own careers would you also then find an equal trade-off that let's say you have the baby and then you go back to work and your husband's become the the primary caregivers? Or is it this idea that we're lying to ourselves and to each other saying, you must do both. You must be the one who's raising your kid. Because I find that women also get a lot of shame put upon them if they're not there for their children. And this idea that, oh, your nanny's raising your baby or someone else is raising your child.
3: Absolutely. So – It's really funny you ask that because my husband and I actually had that conversation very recently because I'm just been back in Australia six months. I'm looking to go back to work. I'm interviewing and obviously part-time roles sort of, you know, 12 years out of Australia are quite hard to come by. And um, I'm interviewing for a role. I really want her. It sounds great. It's a full-time role. I'm like, I really want to work four days. But do I kind of want to jeopardize my, you know, sort of, you know, opportunities here? So I had a very frank discussion with my husband. Would you be willing to work a nine-day fortnight? Sure, definitely, I'd be able to do that. So, you know, I think it's kind of, you know, it is is a journey that, you know, I guess in sort of, um, you know, in marriages where it's not a single parent family, it definitely is a journey for for two people to go on. And I think that, you know, um, often what happens in motherhood is there's all this pressure on new mums and they sort of take this on and they're like, oh, I've got to do it because that person did it. And they, you know, they get quite sort of, I wouldn't say selfish, but they're like, I've got to do this. And, you know, they might be the ones at home initially. And then, you know, husband's out at work, comes home after the day is like, oh, you know, everything's sort of all together or they're doing it, you know, the wife's doing it or the mum's doing it. Um, And so I guess what happens is they're the ones that are sort of doing it for the first six months. And then in some situations, the guy sort of gets put on the sideline. He's not really contributing. He's not doing anything. And then they don't have that confidence as a father to be like, I can do this on my own. So that often happens. But yeah, I mean, what, you know, I think it definitely is something that, you know, it's got to be two people. You know, he changes as many nappies as she does. You know, it's, it's just, you know, it is a team effort.
2: So what's your opinion when people say um, this happens where I'll have friends and they'll be coming out and they're like, so-and-so being their husbands, they're like, they're babysitting. (laughs) Like that's not a lie, but it is something that as you were saying that I find it so fascinating when the husband's babysitting, but you're a mother. And like, Mm -hmm. I know it doesn't happen for everyone, but it seemingly is this idea that like when the dad does anything, he's really upstanding and incredible. And yet mothers have to like cop the shit, cop the flack. (laughs) And like, I see so many of my friends who have kids and the woman is just like, run ragged and then daddy gets home and he's the legend Mm. and oh he's going to be there tonight and like that's a really wonderful thing or you Mm. know he's not going out with friends and I'm at home and all the rest of that Mm. I guess that's just
3: you know I guess scarcity is a wonderful thing and uh, often you know if it is in that situation in the first year where the dad's out working the mum's on maternity leave then that does often happen where the dad becomes a preferred parent because you know especially when the second child comes along and you've got a toddler who just adores the dad because he's never there it's, it's scarcity So, uh, and I think that's kind of what it is and I definitely know and think that is the case in my family where, you know, my husband sort of is the favourite because he's only there, you know, I'm sort of the stay-at-home parent at the moment. Um, So, it definitely is sort of, um, but I guess in terms of the babysitting thing that you mentioned, yeah, I'd say that's just a term. In some situations, I know mums do get together and like, oh, he did this and oh, he did that and yeah, we all do it, but... You know, I think that definitely more and more you see dads stepping up for sure. And I know even some close friends at the moment that their dad's on pat leave and the mum's gone back to work. So, you know, it it definitely is becoming a more level playing field.
2: And going back to something about um children and taking care of them, because I have friends who will tell me this is it comes back to like, why do we lie to each other? I've got friends who are like, I'll never smack my child. But then they've also told me, look, little, little Johnny was running crazy and I just walloped him across the bottom, et cetera. And I find that disciplining your child now is such a controversial topic. Now, I think this is a good time for you don't have children, but you want to have children in terms of how do you feel you might discipline versus actually the reality of what might happen?
4: Well, I am exactly the person you just described. So that's how I think like that I wouldn't hit a child, but like, I suppose in I don't know. I just reflect on the way that I was brought up. Like my parents never really did that actually. They did once each. I once swore at my mother and then I once swore at my father. And they were the only times ever. And it was on the bum. Like that was a proper hit. But like generally I was never laid a hand on. so interesting. My wife and I both
2: talk about it and we're like we were definitely smacked on the bum. And I think that I understand that for anyone who goes, oh, there's child abuse. Like I firmly understand the difference between child abuse and hey, you don't have the cognitive awareness and understanding to know what's going on. It's like when someone tries to reason with a puppy. For anyone who lashes out about me reasoning your child to a puppy, please don't. But the simple, <laughs> the simple idea that someone's like, I'm going to tell my dog to sit down and what he did was naughty.
4: They don't understand what you're actually trying to tell them I, to do, etc. Mm, I think that, I mean – This is from like a more academic and not practical perspective, but there is pretty good evidence that speaking to children as if they're adults has value and being on their eye level and all this sort of stuff. Like there is really good evidence that that level of um, more adult-like interaction and explaining things long-term puts you in much better stead Mm -hmm. than, you know, manual methods.
3: Yeah. I mean, it is interesting you say that
4: because
3: my husband is very much of that belief and... You know, generally speaking, we talk to our children, but, you know, if, and obviously only recently have I sort of become a full-time stay-at-home parent mum, it's, it's quite a trying sort of time, even though I don't have them seven days a week, I've got them two full days a week, <laughs> but I can say that it is a very trying period in terms of, you know, the patience that you have. And obviously that's a very, you know, indiv- individual thing in terms of how much patience you have for your child. Um, But I do agree that talking to your children, you know, very early on um, does help and, you know, continuing to talk to them. I used to think as a sort of young adult that that was just the most crazy thing ever. I mean, how can they understand? But you would be shocked at how much they really do understand. I mean, in terms of the hitting, um, the hitting thing, yeah, smack on the bum here and there. I'm not opposed to it, but I don't really do it. I don't. That's quite honest. I don't do it. And You know, I used to see my sister who's got older kids than mine sort of, you know, threaten, 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 empty threats every time. I'm like, oh my God, when I have kids, I'm never going to do that. And of course, what do I do? I do it. You know, I go to a cafe, I see a kid watching an iPad. Oh, when I have a kid, I'm never going to do that. You know, there's so many things that when you don't have kids, you say you're never going to do. You get to that point, you're like, I literally need to drink this coffee and I need time out. My kid's going to do whatever (laughs) I said I was never going to do. Um... (laughs) No, I think that's so fit. So um, my wife and I, we don't want to have children,
2: but she knows within herself, like she's so judgmental about other people mm. and their children and stuff. Whereas I do like kids. She's always like, eh. However, she always tells me, um, if I, we ever have kids though, I will become a crazy Jewish mother. And I was like, you entirely will. And all of a sudden, all of your judgment just flies out the window. Totally, you know yes. exactly what you'll do. Yeah. Okay. So the last the last thing I want to touch on about why do we lie to ourselves about children and motherhood Uh, something I struggle to understand is the fact that people who talk about having kids, but yet the conversation about the financial obligation Mm. of having a child seems to just not be spoken about as much. So is it just so harsh to say to someone, perhaps you can't afford to have a child. And I know that we always reason and, and kind of, we can always make it work. I'm fundamentally aware of that. But why don't we tell each other just how much it's going to be? Because when I was asking other friends who have children, they were like, no one ever told me it was going to be this hard because no one ever told me that all of a sudden he's going to need glasses and that's going to be $500. No one ever told me that they're going to need all this extra special care. No one ever told me they're going to need toys and all that. Like, I mean, not toys. I shouldn't have said that one. But you know what I mean? Like all of these examples of how children accumulate and perhaps financially, everyone's like, let's make a baby. But then no one's talking about the financial obligation. And mm. I don't understand why we're not
4: telling each other just how much much it costs I don't know I mean this, this might be badly received but I think people have been having kids forever and they just make do
2: okay so I, I really want to ask you on this because you haven't had kids yet so for example if Lisa and I ever speak about having a child yeah obviously we have to uh, financially lay it out a little more right yeah however we also then go to the next step cool so then this is how much a child would cost etc and I think due to the fact that we can't just like look deep into each other's eyes and say let's make a baby tonight there does come that extra warrant of consideration. Do you ever do that with your husband? No. Or are you
4: just like, we're going to have kids and then we're going to make it work? People have been doing it forever. It'll work out. So you just go, it'll work out. It'll work out.
3: Well, I mean, I have to say, firstly, we've spoken about people having kids later. So, you know, what average age of a mum now is probably somewhere in the sort of early to mid thirties, possibly, I'm not sure exactly. But, you know, we've had the nice things in life. We've been out to all the cafes and eaten smashed avocado every Saturday. And, you know, we've basically, you know, used to that nice life and all of a sudden then we having kids we want to continue living that life whilst having kids you know so it's very much is a sort of balancing expectations because you know um it is an expensive exercise but it doesn't always have to be that expensive it's just what you want for your child so, do you want to give them all those extracurriculars? Do you want to send them to a private school? Do because they're the big ticket items. Yeah, but don't you, know, you also buying clothes think and buying toys and buying you know he, things here and there? But look, I mean, let's let's just look at the sort of de- the demographic of you know the people that are having children. The people having most children are the people sort of at the lower end of the income brackets or income scale. So, and they're managing. It's just what you want for your kid, really.
2: But I guess my question also circles back to did anyone – did you really break down or do we get really honest actually about how much having a child is or are we just so elated with the fact that we're pregnant? Because I have friends now and perhaps just Mm. you two aren't in this same situation but I have friends now who are on welfare. They're absolutely struggling Mm. and they're fundamentally saying, why did no one really tell me?
4: Yeah, I think it's hard. I mean I have a lot of family support so I know that if – Things got really bad. You're never like going to be on heaps the street. Of family, yeah, it's fine. I'm never going to be in that situation. Mm. But and also, I have the potential to earn money, as does my husband. So that we're both in situations where we have, you know, the capacity to earn, which is you know a nice, safe space to be in. And there are certain things that I would already think, oh, that would be nice to do. You know, I like to go on nice holidays. I like to do nice things. I, you know, mm. have become accustomed to a certain lifestyle. Mm. But um, I don't know, I think I used to be like a psycho planner and I still am to some extent, but I think like the area that I work in now, I'm constantly like I'm living in this rural place and that rural place and away from my husband and whatever. And you just kind of have to be adaptive and dynamic. And I think obviously I haven't had kids. I know it will be difficult, but like you will deal with it. Everyone else manages to deal with it. You know, it's like I didn't want to learn to drive. I was like, I can't do it. It's too embarrassing. Like I, I, I'm really bad. And my mom was like, everyone else can do it. Like you'll work it out. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Like, it'll be all right. All right. So
2: let's talk about how we get to kids, sex and relationships. Um, I want to start with the lie of everyone's having sex regularly all the time. So I don't know about you, but have you ever been around either a dinner table or a social occasion where the idea of sex... Look, both of you are laughing at me. (laughs) So you're, you're around a dinner conversation and everyone's like, the idea of sex is brought up and then it's like, oh, how often are you having sex? And there's like this moment where... You kind of think everyone's deducing, do I tell the truth? What's the truth? What's a good balance? So I guess the question is, why are we lying about how much sex we're having and who decided that there's a certain number we should be hitting for a successful relationship?
4: Well, I've had this discussion with friends, but they're always like they're with good friends and I well, I don't know, I don't think they're lying. I've had some friends tell me things that I was shocked at their answer. Um, As in they were saying they weren't having any or they were having none. right yeah and i thought oh how's that functional but you know there was no judgment there i suppose i have only had those conversations with people that i like that it would be a non-issue with it's not like i have that conversation with like joe blogs on the street yeah do you know what i mean yeah so So, you guys
2: don't talk about sex freely with anyone who's more than just a, a close acquaintance
4: Not really. No, not really. See, that's
2: funny, right? Sex is one of my most enjoyable topics to talk about. And it's not the idea that I'm like, hi, tell me your favorite position or anything like that. I just find it to be a really enthralling subject. My wife often is like, you shouldn't bring it up so much. But it's more the idea that I always question why don't we talk about it more? Like why do we only – okay, here's actually a better one. Why do we only talk about sex with really close friends? Why is it not a broader discussion considering a lot of the time women or you know men etc we're all seeking for that relationship which we all know also equals sex
4: I don't know I mean I I, in the sort of work that I do sex comes up a lot like it's talked about a lot it's just not necessarily in like a um sexy way yeah I don't know I feel like I mean and also actually this is really interesting in my family it was never like And taboo, off-topic thing. Like my father has been known for regularly saying things in front of people he hardly knows and friends of mine, like talking about sex. Like it's never been a taboo thing. People talk about it all the time. Um, I think it's more just like you don't necessarily. I think it's about having some level of privacy with your partner as well. I think that's Mm, what it's about. Yeah. I think that. I don't. I don't think it's actually about sex. I think it's about privacy. Like that, there's a level of intimacy that is shared between you two, and you two only. I don't know. Maybe I just thought about that then, but that's, I 100% that's not what I'm agree considered. with. That yeah.
2: So you only don't talk about sex because you're aware of the privacy of your own personal relationship. Yes. But okay, before you got married, you're telling me you never hung around with your friends and chatted about sex.
3: As a dating thing, yeah. Okay, you know what's going on. Yes. Like, who are you seeing and what's going, like, you know, in that that sense, but not, you know, sort of in a long-term relationship, you know, someone you're with wouldn't necessarily be, unless you felt that there was an issue, like, you know, you weren't getting any or, you know, there was some sort of a, sort of an issue which was affecting the relationship, but if it wasn't something that was affecting the relationship, it wouldn't necessarily be something that was spoken about.
0: (laughs) No, I, totally I, I totally
4: agree. I totally agree. I definitely agree. I also think that like how would I feel if my husband was off talking to his mates about.
0: How, how good about like, it. Do like, you I, think he I would be, does though?
4: No, I really think that he doesn't. I could hand on my heart and be like I, I don't think that he ever would because I would find that to be an invasion. Like that's, that's not, I don't want his mates to know about that. Like no. Okay, so what would you do if you found out his mates knew and he does talk about it? I'd be like don't do that. But, I know this sounds horrendous but like I really I just I don't think it would happen I don't know I've had conversations with my husband about that kind of thing before I don't know my parents are divorced and there are certain things that happened which I can look at now as an adult and be like that was bad they shouldn't have done that or I don't like the way that they spoke about each other and that kind of thing and I think that Um, a lot of relationships these days are dispensable, people divorce, blah, blah, blah. And I think that there is a certain sanctity, if you will, to marriage and or, you know, to having a long-term relationship and there are certain things that should be like watertight.
3: Mm. If it's tongue-in-cheek, I don't have an issue with that. Okay, so this I wasn't... I agree. Yeah, I
2: wasn't going to ask this but I do now want to ask (laughs) this because you spoke about the sanctity of marriage. Mm. I find relationships are now having a bit more of an open dialogue mm. around how relationships should function. So why would you, or would you not ever tell your partner if perhaps, because I think there's a difference between marriage and who you want to have sex with right now, why would you, or why would you perhaps not ever tell your uh, husbands, mm-hmm. Hey, actually I'm sexually attracted to this person. I'm not saying you're going to act on it, but I'm saying, would you ever tell that question or would you not? And why?
0: Definitely
2: so you're at not. Why?
4: I think, and this, people might shut this down and tell me that it's silly and naive, but I think that you have a choice when when you interact with people as to how that goes. You can choose to interact with somebody in a certain way, or you can shut that down immediately. So, if I had a conversation with someone and I could tell that they were slightly interested in me, I shut it down immediately because I just not I'm not going there. I don't even allow that to happen and that could that might sound really naive to some people and it's probably a product of like I was saying like my family situation where there it was messy and I yeah I think that there's so many blurred lines and I just don't want to be ever in a situation where that sort of manifests I don't know So
2: is that kind of like you saw the way your parents the reasons why your parents may have gotten divorced and so therefore you don't want to repeat that mistake
4: Yeah but I also think you, I think choice and like being analytical of the situations that you're in is really important like you know you hear about people having affairs and this kind of thing and it's like well that didn't just happen that night I'm sure you've interacted with that person you know in the lead up to that or even if it's just on the same night like you had certain conversations there was body language There was all this stuff that led to that that you were involved in that you allowed to manifest you could have just like looked at that person and gone not involved later's left Have either
2: of you ever listened to Esther Perel?
4: No. No. She's
2: someone – no, it's just she's someone who the way she speaks about relationships and marriages and all the rest of it is really quite fascinating as she talks about uh, a lot of the time how perhaps we are pair-bonded in terms of those kinds of relationship dynamic but in terms of just – non-sexually monogamous and that's not to say monogamy is the wrong thing they I'm not barracking for people to have open relationships that's not what I'm saying <clears throat> I'm talking about the idea of it being a discussion that's all but Esther Perel is someone who is utterly fascinating and so ever since looking at her work I now never judge it do you know what I mean like if you yeah. ever came to me and said hey I was at work and so and so was really attractive and I felt these things I'd be like that's normal. I don't judge you on that. And it's just through consuming her work and other people's work that made me think differently. So I wasn't so quick to pull the trigger, but you know what I mean? Like it's not a big deal. And that's because I I also don't assume it to be a big deal. If that makes sense.
4: Totally disagree. Sorry. I have exactly the same situation as you. My parents' marriage ended because my mother had an affair and that was, I, I mean, I have a good relationship with her now, but I think that's entirely a choice. I think that's very much a choice. So
2: does that mean now, that, choose we're, now that we're going down this path? Out. Yeah. No, no, no. I think this is wonderful because I think a lot of people listening, their parent, someone's had an affair and their, parent, and their relationship is over. But my question is that, did she have an affair and that ended her relationship or was her relationship over and then she had an affair?
3: I think the latter. Yeah. That's what I yeah. think too. That's how yeah. I look at it. Communication is key yeah. and probably there was a breakdown along the way, you know you know, the other side, for you know, chose to ignore that issue and either, you know, and then there was just a complete breakdown. I was like, okay, I'm going to go my own way then. But in my view, that's absolutely fine if that's going to happen. But in my view, that needs to end before anything else happens. So in my view, you know, that person needs to identify the fact that, yes, I'm struggling in this relationship. I'm not, you know, I'm not happy. Talk about it, either fix it or end it. I'm not, Oh you're
2: saying don't
3: don't partake in the action. I complete yes. That's exactly how I feel. Like if, if you you know you 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 know, you've made a choice, a life choice to get married that is a monogamous relationship. If you're not happy because of X, Y, Z, you know, make a change and end it before you, it's kind of like saying, well, I'm just going to have a dibble dabble here and if that's nicer then I might decide that actually my marriage is not really or even worse, I'm just going to have a dibble dabble and then go back to the marriage and go, oh, yeah, everything's fine now.
4: Yep, not cool. So
3: I have a (laughs) – I
2: have so (laughs) many friends. I love that we've gone down this (laughs) path. So I have a friend who um, met her partner whilst in an open relationship and we were talking about this topic once and um, she goes to me, if so-and-so ever – and I always – I'm obviously saying so-and-so because I don't want anyone's names or anyone being upset. If so-and-so ever slept with someone else, she's like, that would not ruin – she's like, sex will not ruin my marriage because to her a marriage is bigger than sex. But this is a great thing because I think both of you share the same opinion that many women do, which is if he's cheated on me or if she has cheated on me, whichever way, um, you know, whichever a uh, sexual – identity you take on that that's over you know so I find Mm. it really interesting that you're both so firm on it Mm. in terms of like this has happened
3: it's over 100 percent.
4: yeah very black and white I I I am very black and white in the way that I think generally though and I think it I mean for me I need it to be functional and my partner thinks the same way as well so and but you know what my dad thinks that way as well so like I don't know maybe just it's just you pick up you know what you're around it's the way I've been raised and I think that blurred lines are just fraught with someone always loses out you know so yeah. there's always going to be a hurt party you know you can say that it's fine Third to wheel have the, there's always yeah, <laughs> there's always someone who's going to be massively hurt by that that doesn't work out for everybody yeah
2: of course yeah I, I completely agree I'm not saying it doesn't hurt I'm just saying it's an interesting way to look at things and then mm. the more you hear of other relationships because I grew up I actually grew up it's just so interesting the way I used to think about marriage and all the rest of it and then the, the more I became aware of other people's ideas instead of saying like you know it's wrong I just was like that's so interesting and I mean just look I'm going to send you Esther Perel's link and (laughs) she's very fascinating even to hear about it.
3: I would love to know I mean you know what the other things are in a marriage that and you know it's it's some you know this this person you know saying sex will not break my marriage so what other things that are greater than the intimacy of the relationship that will not break you know what what, what's going to cause it to break if
2: I think it's more the fact that they are so connected, so secure in who they are in their relationship and together. It's more the idea that sex can also just be a physical uh, expression with another. And I think that like even I'll be very honest, like my relationship with Lisa, I often say to her, well, actually, we have this idea that everything's a conversation. This is not to say we have an open relationship before anyone's jumping on that bandwagon. It's just the fact that that like, you know, I used to, I've had very insecure partners, right? Lisa isn't. Like she often says to me, go find someone better than me, whether that's sarcastic or whatever, it always makes me laugh. But it always comes back to the fact that it's this idea that I could turn around and say, I saw so-and-so and was quite attracted to them. And it wouldn't be the demise of our relationship. And it's also the irony that I can say that and because I can look and all the rest of it, I almost don't look because it's not illicit and it's not a a dangerous activity, if that makes sense. Mm. So I just look at that differently. That's Mm. That's all I mean in that regard. All right. So let's move on to the next hot topic when it comes to sex, faking orgasms. So if you're happy to answer, have you ever faked an orgasm?
4: Yes. Yes.
2: Okay. So... I want to know why women fake orgasms, and why do we lie about it, especially
4: to our partners? Well, I don't know.
2: I think you're in happy
4: marriage, yeah, totally. But before I that, mean, why did you yeah. lie? I'm sure. I don't know. I'm trying to remember, like at the time, but it could be for any reason. Like, I'm tired now. Like, whatever. <laughs> I don't know it's not something that I sort of think about now but um, yeah I mean wasn't enjoying it and we wanted it to be over yeah. so was that like a one-night stand kind of situation
2: yeah so have you ever been have either of you ever been in a long-term relationship or a not a one-night
4: stand and ever faked an orgasm yeah no really so you'll tell them if you're not yeah no but at the beginning of a relationship not now
2: but okay. When so, I didn't
4: know, when it wasn't yet a long-term relationship. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 Okay, So why did you then? Either. Yeah. Probably just like wasn't going. I don't, I, I can't remember a specific event, but I'm guessing it was probably what we said before. Like, it wasn't that good or like yeah. I'm tired or like just not feeling it. Cause yeah. I think on the flip side where I'm questioning is I generally
2: don't think I've heard many men sit around having a chat. Like so, sorry, sorry, I should preface this. I've often spoken to friends and they've talked about how they fake orgasms, how they're kind of like not sexually gratified, etc. whether or not it's a one night stand or a relationship. However, I don't often hear male friends of mine be like, yeah, you know, I was just making her come, making sure she was really satisfied. And then like, I just walked away and like, I felt really good about it. Like, why the fuck does that not happen? Why is it not okay to him to know that actually, no, like it's the other way around. Do you know what I mean? Like in society, it seemingly is like, as long as he comes, but no man's like, hey, yeah, I'm really impossible.
3: happy. To- Pardon? Because it's almost impossible for a guy to fake it.
4: Of course. No, I understand. And that, it's but also I- much easier for that outcome to yeah. eventuate.
3: <laughs> but, my, but my
2: question really is around why do we so – like why do women take on board? I'll fake my orgasm so he feels gratified, let's call it his ego stroked, all the rest of it, or perhaps you guys are just tired and want to go to bed. But I just am saying on the flip side, men aren't being like, yeah, I'm faking it just to like get it over with, or I'm just faking it so she doesn't feel too bad and all the rest of it. Like if you take away the idea Mm -hmm. that men can't fake it actually in how it happens, why why are women so okay to fake it? And I'm sure you guys both have girlfriends who fake orgasms.
4: Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I don't know. I don't talk about it now with friends, but I'm sure it happens. Because I've heard people talk about having bad sex, so presumably it didn't happen. So I don't know. I think when you're in a good relationship, it's sort of a a non-issue. Like if it's not happening, you're just like, it's not happening. <laughs> like, yeah. but
3: Or it's not a casual thing either. Yeah.
4: So yeah. on
2: the topic of good relationships then, let's say at the beginning, I don't think yeah, – I'm sure your husbands weren't magicians at the beginning of your bodies – did you tell them if you didn't like something straight away or did you coax them into actually perhaps do this? Like I guess my idea is like why do we gently stroke the idea of like actually this sucks
4: or this could be better? I think the – I like the best way I think about it is like I know it's different. You know, you're saying men don't sit around thinking like how they're pleasing women or whatever. But you like it's not nice to receive abrupt feedback as a woman either like it's not nice either way right Mm. so it's about making people feel like valued and getting it to the right point without anyone you know feeling too shit
3: yeah and i guess initially it's always like you don't know the sensitivities or what sort of what they're like yeah exactly what sort of doesn't fly or what does i
2: guess the reason it comes to mind for me is most often the time in lesbian relationships or certainly the ones i've been in it's not really a common conversation if that makes sense like it's a bit of a different relationship around the idea of orgasming and most of the time both do and all the rest of it and then i speak to so many heterosexual friends and they're like yeah i faked it or blah 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 and they palm it off so i'm always a bit like what what do you mean you're not orgasming
3: so lesbians don't fake it
2: i'm not saying lesbians don't fake it oh, okay. i'm telling you i've never had to fake it okay
4: right okay and i and you don't have the need to like cover the ego situation. Well, yeah. I
2: think there's also like I think if you were to go into the into the the house of the way that the sex occurs, it can always be different and blah blah blah, but I think just the idea is not not often do I ever have the conversation with another lesbian where they're telling me they're faking it. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just saying from my own personal experience, yeah. it seemingly happens a lot more when I'm talking to my straight friends. So I'm not saying I'm not telling you guys to be lesbians. I'm just talking no. about the fact of like It's just so interesting how it's okay to like, oh, yeah, I just faked it. Because I remember the last time I did fake it was with a man. And I remember doing it and thinking to myself, why did I do that? And I was like, I wanted him to feel, I don't know, just gratified, I guess, or whatever it is. But it was just this idea that like, you know, but whereas with a woman, I've I've never had to.
3: Because you think she understands your body more. Well, no, she
2: just made me orgasm. So I didn't have to fake the orgasm. I'm not saying every sex with a woman is going to be amazing. That's not what I mean. But it's just the idea of... I find the idea of faking happens more often. It's more prevalent. I
4: think that's maybe just like when you're comfortable with someone, you don't feel the need to maybe. And then I think maybe... I don't know. That's how I see it anyway. Like I would never feel that I had to now. But maybe, yeah, when you're getting to know someone... It's just, you don't want to, awkward. it's awkward and you don't want to upset people. Like I feel like a yeah. lot of people just don't want to upset people just generally in life. Like it's, I don't know. It sounds pathetic, doesn't it? No. Yeah. Or just, as a
3: person, you're less straightforward than others. <clears throat> yeah. You know, that, that can be a personality thing too.
2: Um, so the next thing I really want to touch on about how, why we lie to each other. And now that the doc is in the house, I think this will be interesting. It's about the prevalence of getting STDs. And considering it's something that's so important but and the statistics show that so many women are actually getting STDs but yet we're not talking about it because everyone's embarrassed, why do you think that might be that we're lying about the situation?
4: Uh, I think that people don't talk about it because, I mean, often when a woman gets her new STD, it's often linked to um, perhaps a partner being unfaithful. So that's a major issue. Um, And people aren't walking around saying, oh, my husband cheated on me or whatever. You know, so that is a big issue. And then often um, it's perceived as being like yuck and dirty. Um, And a lot of the time people, I think there's misinformation, misunderstanding about some things as being like chronic and untreatable. So like there are some things like HIV, which like you have for life, even though it's treated. Um, And then there are other things like chlamydia, which is like, you know, dose of antibiotics and you're done. Yeah. So people just don't understand them, I think, also. Mm.
2: Yeah. Do you think it also – for those friends I know who have gotten STDs, they're also worried about having this slut-shaming? No, you're both, uh, you look
3: awkward. Well, to be honest, I mean, I guess I'm in that category. I don't have a huge understanding of them. But, um, yeah, I guess that's exactly what it is. I know that um, when I was at university, one of my friends was – you know, basically abused on SMS for, you know, basically transmitting chlamydia. And I remember at the time just being like, oh, my God, this is so horrible. And, you know, she was just really um, and I remember being like, you know, sort of trying to help her through it. Like, how do you respond to this? It's not true. Or is it true? You know, and then sort of. um, Oh, so she didn't know if actually she was the carrier. Someone just said, you gave me chlamydia. And she was like, wait a minute do I have it? I don't even know. Yeah. So it was a bit of a case of that, but yeah, in the end, um, you know, she did have it. So, okay.
2: As a doctor. Yeah. Do you feel we should all talk about it a bit more so we can also talk about it? I mean, in certain
4: circles, it's like talked about all the time. Like to me, it's not awkward talking about it because I talk about it all the time. So I don't know. I mean, there's plenty of diseases that, that people don't want to talk about, not just. STDs. Like there's lots of things that people are embarrassed. People are embarrassed about having seizures. People are embarrassed about all sorts of mm. stuff that they think makes them different to other people or less appealing to other people. Mm. I don't think it's just an STD thing. Um, what are the other things that jump to you? Oh, epilepsy was the one that came to me initially because you can't, if you're an epileptic and it's not well controlled, you can't drive, you can't swim, you can't do all this stuff Mm -hmm. that you just take for granted that you can do. And then you've got it, you know, then at any moment something might happen to you and you're putting others at risk. Say you're a new mum and you've got a baby and you have a seizure, what happens to the baby? Like Mm -hmm. there's heaps of diseases that are stigmatized. I think that people just don't really think about it. Um, And chlamydia is one of these things that's like really common, Um, it's on the rise, especially in heterosexual women. and yeah, I mean to me, I mean, it's obviously a disease that's been contracted, but it you don't have to have slept with a lot of people to contract chlamydia. Like that's a that's an incorrect statement. It could be that you've been with one person ever and your partner's been unfaithful to you. You know what I mean? So I don't yeah. see it as correlating with that at all. Yeah. It's just a crap thing that happened to you. Yeah.
2: I'm really glad you brought that up about the epilepsy and the other diseases because I guess that's a huge component of why I want to have these conversations because I find it so often that someone's always waiting for someone else to go first. And the moment you share a story or you share something intimate and vulnerable, someone else, most of the time, if I've ever shared anything really vulnerable with another person, they've immediately been like, (laughs) to not use the me too phrase, but me too, right? And so it's this idea that I really hope and want women to talk about things more openly because then if there's a bit more of a collective voice then all of a sudden it won't be such a stigma. It won't be such a problem, et cetera. You know, like I was telling a friend how I started going to therapy at the end of the year. And she was like, Oh wow. You. And I was like, yeah. And because in her mind, she thought you had to have something wrong with you to go therapy. And then she started asking me about it and how it all came to be. And then all of a sudden she's like, I think I really need to go. And I was like, fucking do it. It's wonderful. Go for gold, you know? So, I guess that's my reasoning for always wanting to be so open about things and be vocal, not in a way of like you should do it too or whatever, but more just like, Hey, here's my experience. And I don't carry any sense or fear or worry. Cause your judgment of me mm. is your absolute own. And I can only be my absolute self.
4: Yeah. I think you're really like the average of the people you hang around. We were saying that the other day, like, so I hang around people who talk about this stuff all the time and diagnosing people, people with disease. Like if I have lots of friends who, you know, see a therapist and I, Talk to people all the time, and recommend that people do. So mm. it's not vaguely taboo, and many people go through their lives, um, you know, so they go through life and have a period where they might need that. They don't need it forever. It's just, you know, part of life. So I think if you hang out with people where that's not spoken of or it's considered rare, then it, you internal, you know, sort of you internalize and you're like, oh well, this is weird. Other people, my other, pe- my other friends aren't doing this. I c- therefore can't talk about it. Mm. But if you hang out with people who don't think that way. It's not an issue. Mm, it's yeah. just your group, your peer group.
3: There's an element of gossip as well, though Chinese whispers. It gets sort of transpired into something completely different to what the actual original story is. So a lot of people sort of don't delve into, you know, what that might actually be because they're worried about. Yeah, that's so you know, true. The ripple isn't it? effect. Yeah.
2: You should always put it on a podcast for everyone to look back on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, amazing. So uh, one of the last topics I want to talk about is body image. And this is one because I'm actually unsure about it myself around the idea of us lying to ourselves and to each other. Um, Because is it wrong due to also the fact that we're living in a constant pressure due to social media, self-criticism that helping someone to feel better about themselves might just be the right thing to do, right? But I'll give you a perfect example. Um, My wife asked me one day, have I put on weight? Well, the answer was yes, she had. But I was like, no, darling, you look beautiful. You look amazing. No, you haven't. Now, why did I lie? And I certainly lied because I think at the end of the day, (laughs) when it's your partner, it's a completely different subject, right? But I guess it perpetuates this idea around body image. And is it right to lie? Why are we lying? Are we doing it for ourselves so I don't offend you? But if you've asked me a question, should I not tell you the truth?
3: Because why are they asking you? What What answer are they looking for?
2: So as in people ask the person they will know will give them the response
4: thereafter? Yes. Is that what you would think? Yeah, totally. But I think like it's good good in certain circumstances and bad in others. Like if they've gained a bit of weight, like I have this conversation with my husband all the time. I'm like, have I gained weight? And I'm like, no, I have. You're asking a question you already know the answer to. Mm. It's like you're looking for someone to get rid of your correct thought. So you know the answer is yes when you've asked the question and then you're must be expressing some kind of insecurity about that fact, and then you're looking for some sort of validation that it's okay mm. so I think that's fine until you know up to a point but then obviously if it's becoming an issue then you shouldn't be lying about it like you know if it's actually un- unhealthy or not in their best interests so this is I'm really glad you brought that up because I'm a huge
2: proponent of self confidence healthy body image self love etc but it's something Lisa my wife and I always talk about when it comes to um, health and actually the, the, sorry, your weight and the health, the health aspect of it. And due to the fact of working in the health industry, what is your, um, take on if someone is gaining weight to the point of actually it's not healthy, like how do we navigate that? Because I think making someone feel better about themselves is absolutely at the forefront of your mind, right? You don't want anyone feeling shit, especially people you love. But when you're in the position that you're in and you see people come in and they have health related diseases, what's your
4: take on it? I think that if you're in a position where people are coming to you for advice, You you should say something. You're in a, that's a professional setting. So I think it's negligent if you don't.
0: But there are ways to
4: do it. So if your girlfriend gained. Oh, if my friend, that's not a professional setting. Okay. Not a professional setting. She is not paying me for advice. So, so. Okay. So if
2: you're at home with your girlfriends and they're like, hey, have I put on weight? You're like, no, baby, look amazing.
4: Um, no, I don't do that. I'll just be like, I'll say something like fence sitting. Like what? which they understand means I agree with them. Like I'm not going to say it, but I won't be like, no, you haven't. I'll be like, oh, you know, you still look gorgeous. That happens. I fluctuate. You know what I mean? I'll like say something like that, which they would understand as like, yeah, they have, but it's okay. But I do have friends who are overweight, who I am constantly – I'm constantly – arguing with myself as to whether or not I should say something. And my husband's like, you must say something. And I'm like, I can't, I'll get upset. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, it is hard. I think it's hard with friends. Um, I think, yeah, people get very easily hurt. I think if you frame things in a health context and, like, you'll feel better, you'll be more agile, you know, like in that kind of way, not in so much a superficial cosmetic way, then people feel differently about it. I definitely think there's, like, like I know you know that in yourself, like we all know that when you exercise, you feel good, yeah. right, so there are so many implications um, associated with like healthy living like there are other ways to say things
0: you know
3: you so. also have to assume that people have you know the right means to getting all that information on their own without a friend having to come in and sort of like potentially jeopardize that relationship or friendship you know obviously two thousand and nineteen I mean people know yeah. where to find this information it's sort of, you know, bringing yourself to get that help. Yeah. As opposed to...
2: No, I think body image and also just the way you feel about yourself can be quite a stressful thing. Like I remember I had a girlfriend and she... This isn't isn't to do with weight, but it's actually just to do with appearance. And she was really quite stunning, but she had such insecurities about herself that she'd wake up 45 minutes before her partner and like put on makeup because she was so afraid of him seeing her. And I remember when I first met her, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, cause to me, that's just like, if, if I can't roll over and think you're beautiful, then I think there's a disengagement, not with like lots of makeup, et cetera. And I do find that we're living in a time where you have to look great. You have to uh, put on makeup. You have to do all these things. And I, I know for me, like I'm quite a lazy person in regards to like putting on makeup. Like if I've put on mascara, it's a great day. And then sometimes I think, oh, should I have put in a bit more effort? And there's just seemingly quite a lot of pressure in being a woman.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think body image is like certainly a huge thing for a lot of women and that's got to do with social media and um, this, you know, there's all these standards out there that people think they need to conform to and that kind of thing. Um, And I think that like, like that example of your friend and putting the makeup on, I think that's pretty common, unfortunately, like I've had lots of people tell me exactly that same story. Um, and then I just think, why would you be with somebody like that? Um, and that, you know, that's more about them and their self-esteem and, you know, perhaps that guy said something to them. Maybe it's about him as well. Um, I'm not in a situation, so it's like that. So it's hard for me to identify with exactly what, what's happening there, but I think it's common. Um, and I mean, I am often in a position where I look at people naked all the time and it's really interesting to watch people's reactions when you ask them to take their clothes off. I'm like, oh yeah, get your stuff off. And a lot of women, like I've had lots of women say, um, can I take, do my top, then my bottom? So they don't want to take everything off in one go. It's like, yeah. can I just be half exposed and then I'll be the other half exposed. Yeah. So there are a lot of women that have – even even in front of just like a random female medical person. You know, I'm not their partner. I'm not somebody who's ever going to see them again. Yeah. You know, so I think it's it's pretty common and I think – um I do think there is pressure from certain sorts of men. I think there are I think there are groups of men that think that women should be a certain certain way especially because of social media because that's what they perceive as being normal. That's what's out there. They're not If you
2: saw your friends in a unhealthy relationship,
3: would you ever say anything? I haven't in the past, but I know I would now. Why? What changed? Um I guess just that, like, why didn't you tell me um, sort of afterwards, you know, them coming along and saying, why do not you tell me? But I think that, you know, I guess it's sort of, it wouldn't necessarily be, I don't think this is right for you. A check-in, is everything okay? Mm. And, you know, sort of then trying to help them along that way, as opposed to, this is my opinion, I'm, you know, telling you I don't think it's right, just sort of, and generally speaking... If you don't think it's right, you're not the only person. And probably the person in it doesn't think it's right either. You know? Yeah. It's not going to be rocket science to the person
4: in it. I agree. I think you can say something gentle that's, you know, hinting at something without it being a big problem. Because it, it may, in fact, be the case that you're wrong and you don't know what's happening. And you're if you're not part of a relationship, you don't really know what's going on. I mean, you can see things often, but only two people in a relationship really know what's happening. So... it's good like you shouldn't assume but then you can ask things yeah and like checking checking in i think is is easy to do but then the difficulty arises when it's obviously bad and then you're like all right should i say something major or not Mm. yeah and uh before we finish something i
2: really want to touch on and you actually mentioned it earlier so this morning I happened to go down the deep, dark spiral of us reading comments on a social media post about a woman who was being assaulted, et cetera. It was, like a, it was one of those videos that was raising awareness as to mm. how you can handle those situations. And as I was looking through the comments, it's not all men, not all men. We get it. It's not all men who are shit. And just like I was, you know, this podcast even isn't even about persecuting men or anything like that. It's just talking about things that are important to women. And what is your take before – I guess I share my own about your opinion of how immediately when we're talking about women's issues, we also have to add in this bit about, but it's
3: not all of us. It's not all men. Well, I think in some ways we're our own worst enemy, you know, often, you know, in a workplace setting, it's women bashing women actually. Oh, I um, totally agree. So it's it's actually quite interesting that, you know, obviously we talk about, you know, the sort of unlevel playing field, but I think it's actually just about respecting People in general, not necessarily the gender. You know, that's obviously a different argument, the gender argument. But you know, if you sort of just look, you know, across the field, it it often is women. uh, You know, women bosses are harder on women than they are on men.
2: No, we yeah, okay. I would love to touch on that, but I mean in terms of like how we're trying to raise awareness to women's issues, and instead of like, here's my thing: if you're a great man, you shouldn't have to tell me you're a great man, right? Go Mm. on conducting yourself as a great man, I think that logic would deduce that it's not 100% of anything, just like Mm. anything that's ever happened in life. But I just was curious to know about, does it annoy you or piss you off or anything like that? The idea of instead of focusing on the issue that we're trying to combat, all of a sudden we're also appeasing this idea of like, but I know it's not all of you, it's okay. Like that's the thing that gets me.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm misinterpreting, but I guess it's sort of like, you know, watching reality TV You know, you kind of basically sit there and say, okay, like, I'm better than them. They're all crazy and I'm not crazy. So, you know, it's sort of some sort of self-gratification. Is that what I'm... No, I think I'm talking about... So, for example,
2: a lot of the time with the not all men thing, it's about um, harassment, sexual assault, or let's say domestic violence. Okay. Okay? I understand not every man is abusing a woman. But instead of being like, yeah, let's combat it by A, B, and C, all of a sudden, and especially on social media, and it is a large platform and no one can ever push that away... All of the men are like, hey, but not all of us do that. Mm-hmm. As opposed to being like, hey, you know what? This is how we could do this. And I was yeah. more, it's not even about the idea of it's not all men. I'm just curious to know if for you, if you look at it and you think, talk about
4: the issue, not about the fact that it's not you, mate. Totally. Yeah, I get what Absolutely. you mean by that. Yeah. I haven't really thought about that before, but yeah. I mean, when something bad happens, you know, a guy's done something horrible, most of the men that I know, I've, I don't know, I'm trying to think about a specific example, would be like, oh, isn't that horrible that, that happened to that person or whatever? Mm. But there are situations where I hear groups of women talking about men as a collective, and I think, oh, it's not it's like saying everyone who's black or everybody who's got this disorder or everybody who's gay. Like it, it's the same thing, right? Why well, exactly. is it okay to say all men? And it's not okay to say all gays. Like, you can't, but, do you know what I mean?
2: Like, yeah, but on that note, it's the same as when it was the Blacks' right, the Black rights movement. And it would be like, but it's not all of us white people. Or, yes. like, the same, yeah, like yeah. my point is, like, why
4: is it even a topic? I get what you mean. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Why every, do we
2: allow it to create space as opposed to, like, in the Black rights movement? Just
4: dealing with it. Yeah deal with the
2: actual movement yeah totally i understand that you six white people aren't doing anything wrong that's cool thank you so much i really appreciate it that's all i'm trying to say and it was just something that came up because i think when you talk about men there seemingly becomes this idea of they get defensive they think you're talking about them and it's like i'm not
3: talking about you larry
4: (laughs) i'm
2: just talking about the three other guys who were leering at me on the bus like you know what i mean and it was just a that's
3: insecurities
2: about As I in think, men are I jumping think that's in like men that?
3: men being insecure about the fact that they... Might be lumped in. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And they don't feel, you know, strong enough to sort of say, well, you know, I sort of I am what I stand for. I'm a man, but I am what I stand for and I do support women or whatever that is. Yeah. You know, they're just insecure about their place in terms of them being the blame of...
2: Yeah. Well, I also find it, and again, like social media can become like Comedy Central... But it's like mothers and you're a mother who has a young boy and all of a sudden mothers are like, I'm just so nervous for my my child to go out now, my son, because, you know, he might be accused of blah, blah, blah. And it's like how can all of a sudden one woman's sexual assault become your fear of your child not being able to go out and enjoy himself? I just find the rhetoric can be so
4: interesting sometimes that it completely skews the view of where we're going with it. Mm. Totally. I agree, yeah. People just get carried away with news and ideas and make things apply to them that don't really apply to them. mongering.
2: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So before I wrap this up with my final question, is there anything that has been percolating in your brains as
4: we've been having this chat and you're like, I still would love to share this. I was thinking a lot before we had this chat about uh, the idea of like being happy and like, you know, a lot of young people are, you know, talking about being anxious, you know, like one in four young people are you know experiencing anxiety or like depression all this kind of stuff and I think that um you know with social media everyone's always comparing themselves to other people like oh look at that they went on that holiday they have that handbag blah blah, blah, blah yeah all that junk so I think people have like especially you know and young women today struggle with this like false ideas of what it is to like achieve happiness and have a nice life. I think this is a major thing for a lot of young people. I have friends who are like, I feel like I'm not achieving. I don't know what's, you know, I don't know where I'm going. And I think it's this constant sense of like, I'm underperforming compared to my peers. Yeah in in all aspects and I'm sure that applies to like professional motherhood I mean you were talking about it before like mm-hmm. sitting at the cafe with the iPad I think it's like a, a something that people really don't think about like what what is it that you actually want like what's your overall goal I think a lot of young people and I'm sure it's the same for men a lot of people are struggling with a sense of purpose and you know what they're about and what they stand for and where they'd like to be and I think I think that is um, a problem that is responsible for a lot of the things that we've talked about you know Relationship problems, career problems, motherhood problems. I think people are just generally not sure, well, not so sure of who they are and what they want. Do, do they cons- setting
3: setting unrealistic expectations for themselves because yeah. of what they see other people doing or what other people are said to be doing?
2: So do you um, think, or achieving? Do you think it's the idea that we no longer actually are really aware of what we want because we're so dictated by what other people are getting? Yes,
4: yes. You're totally saturated with all this
2: stuff that is probably fake. You know, that's so interesting because there are so many times where, and I'll very much share that, I'll be like, I want this, and then I'll see something and I'll be like, do I want that? And then I'm like, wait a minute, I don't want that at all. Mm. But it becomes in my face and all of a sudden I think, should I want that? Is that what i meant to want? Is that what i meant to strive for? Yeah. And is there anything else that came up for you that you'd love to share?
3: No, I think we talked about pretty much everything. <laughs> I think so. All right, so.
2: My final question is, you're standing in front of a room of 10,000 women and you're able to offer one piece of advice. What would you say?
4: Be giving. Be giving. That's it. Okay. I think a lot of people are very self-centered.
2: In regards to just, just overall? everything.
4: Yeah. Actually, that's something that I have learned more from my husband. My husband's from a family that's very generous mm. and I'm from – my family's generous, but like a slightly more self-centred culture. And I think that a, lo- a lot of problems would be solved if people just generally were more giving to others, giving of their time, giving of their like, sup- like you know, whatever it is, whatever that person might need. I think people are really self-serving generally.
2: I call it generosity spirit. Yeah, exactly. You either have it or you don't. Yeah,
4: exactly, yeah. Have you?
3: I think probably something around adventure and sort of, you know, Um, live your life and sort of experience as much as you can because you know sort of staying sort of here and there is just not enough go and see things and experience things
2: I love both of those thank you both so much for joining me I really appreciate it and I'm excited to share this with everyone thank you thank you thank you for joining us for this episode of The Modern Women you can listen to all of our episodes over on Apple Podcasts Spotify or Stitcher If you're not already subscribed, please do click that subscribe button now so you don't miss any episodes that come out each week. If you enjoyed this podcast or you took something away from it, taking two minutes to leave a five-star review or post a story review on Instagram and tag me in it so that we can continue to share these incredible stories with more women who need to hear this message. Original music by Chunky Love and produced by Podpaste.